morning, and well, oh, thank you. I know it was, it's loud both ways this morning for some reason. <laughs> Welcome to worship here at Central Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have chosen to be a part of this community on such a cold and damp morning. In the pew in front of you, you will find an information card that looks like this. If you're new to this place and want some more information about who we are or about ways to be involved, please fill this out and you can drop it in the offering plate as it passes by later in the service. Or you can hand it to a minister or there's a box on our sign-up table underneath the TV that you can put that in. Today, we celebrate the Reign of Christ Sunday. For churches around the world, this is in some sorts a New Year's Eve day, as we will begin a new church year next week with the start of Advent. This Sunday, we acknowledge the victory and reign of God's community here on earth. We stand in awe of the glory of God and the power of love, and we rest in the assurance of hope, of life abundant and grace everlasting. This morning, we also consider this a service of gratitude as we will soon meet with friends and family and give thanks for what the year has brought our way. As we look forward to those giant portions of turkey and mashed potatoes, as we show gratitude for those who have walked with us through the ups and downs, may we take this day to give thanks to the love and grace of God that reigns forever. Let us worship God together.
As you're able, you're invited to stand with me now for our call to worship. Come and worship Christ. Come and worship Christ. Come and worship Christ. Come and worship Christ. Come and worship Christ, the one in whom all things are held together. Join me in prayer. With gentleness, mercy, and saving power, O God, may your Holy Spirit fall upon us to bring healing and hope, insight and inspiration, new possibilities and new life to our ordinary days and special celebrations. Mostly, we are grateful for this day and all our blessings. We worship you, our source, our hope, our true home. Amen. 
Now would you take a moment to share the peace of Christ with your neighbor. Good morning. I've been asked to speak on the topic of why I love Central. I think this is kind of a recurring theme that we'll have for the next bit of time. 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel has two parables about banquets or feasts. In the first, Jesus emphasizes the importance of inviting those who cannot repay you and the blessing and the reward that will come to you because of no expectation from the persons you've invited. One of the attendees, a Pharisee, commented about those who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, implying that he, the Pharisee, knew the kind of people who would be included in the kingdom. It would be the good people, the deserving, the right kind of people, who knew and obeyed the law, the good Jews. Remember that Luke was addressing the Jewish community and letting them know that Jesus' message was bigger it was good for the Jews and Gentiles and beyond. Jesus responded with another parable, often referred to as the parable of the great feast. He described the preparation for a grand dinner, one which would include the right people, the important people. And when it came time for this great banquet, the host sent his slave to remind the guests that the time was here and they should come. But they all started making excuses. One says, um, I just bought some land and I need to go look at it. Another one says, I just bought some oxen and I need to go check out the oxen. The other one says, I got married and I don't know what his excuse was. When the, when, the slave, when the slave returned with the news that his master was being dissed by the invited guests, the host became angry and said, go out once into the streets and lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, sir, what you've ordered has been done, and we still have more room. So the host and the master said to the slave, go out to the roads and lanes and compel people to come so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. So just hold that thought for a minute while I tell you some boring Jane stuff. The right people were invited, but ultimately they decided they had better things to do. And the actual guests who came were different than the ones that were originally invited. They certainly were different than the ones that the Pharisee had in mind. I grew up in a small town in northeastern Kentucky, made a profession of faith, and was baptized at the age of seven. During the next six de decades, I am that old, 
I was active most of the time in a Baptist church. Got an undergraduate degree from a Baptist college, worked on the staff of two Baptist colleges, got a degree from a Baptist seminary, and for the past 42 years, six months and three days, I have been married to a Baptist minister. <laughs> I don't see how you can get any more dyed in the wool, washed in the blood Baptist than that, can you? <laughs> and yet, for the past four decades, as I endured ridiculous Festus, or what I call the Baptist Wars, about women's roles in church, you know, like know your place, don't talk, don't preach, stuff like that. The divisive and disruptive actions of hostile takeovers of institutions such as seminaries, colleges, mission organizations, churches, associations, and even families. I was more and more of a mind that being a Baptist was a waste of time, and being a good Baptist failed to address what I saw as the real world issues of injustice, economic and social inequality, environmental degradation, and we'll just pick a topic from the current news. Being a good Baptist or Pharisaic correctness just seemed irrelevant in trying to follow the Jesus of the Gospels. Over those decades, I assumed that at some point I would evolve into an Episcopalian or at least a Presbyterian. <laughs> and yet here I am, still a Baptist. In 2006, after my husband retired the first time, he did it again last week, I thought we would find a church that I could stand to attend and end up being, I don't know, a UCC or something. He was teaching at a nearby seminary when we were living in Northern Virginia. One Sunday, he wanted to go hear one of his students preach. Yes, it was a woman. And so we went to this church near our home in Reston, Virginia. <clears throat> Soon we joined and became active in this little church, found ourselves among an assortment of believers and agnostics and curmudgeons, Asian, Hispanic, African-American, Anglo, some LGBT dropouts from a nearby community, metropolitan community church. And every Sunday, we circled the sanctuary and sang, make us one, Lord, make us one. And then we would go eat lunch together. I was still a Baptist. When we moved back to Kentucky over seven years ago, I assumed once again I could escape and go become a UCC or an Episcopalian <laughs> or some other denomination that didn't expend its resources on multiplying by dividing. That's Baptist math. They like to multiply by dividing. And then I found Central Baptist Church, and here we are, back to the parable, at the banquet of God's grace and love. We gather here from many walks and places, questioning and seeking and encouraging and finding. We may not all be the right people, the correct ones that the Pharisees expected to see in the kingdom. We are traditionalists, who dare to question the traditions. We are migrants who came from other communities or states to find works, to find work or connect family connections. A few are refugees from another continent who came because families were no longer safe in the country of birth. We are escapees from another community or church or family because we no longer fit in or we're not acceptable or accepted. And some of it just no longer care about being a good Baptist. We are here at God's great feast of worship and prayer and praise, sometimes a supper of pizza or a muffin in the foyer. We are the suspect, the flounderers, the fledglings, and God welcomes us all. The Pharisees and the good Baptists didn't expect to see us, and that's why I love Central Baptist Church. Psalm 46 is our Hebrew scripture today, a song. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. For the word of God that works its way into us, thanks be to God.
Let's pray again, please, shall we? Dear God, we realize that our gratitude sometimes has to be looked for and sought after, that the beauty that you've given us is not always on the surface evident because there's so much noise and ugliness around us. And yet you've taught us as people of faith that if we look more deeply, if we look more quietly, if we look at one another, we can always find reasons to be grateful. So this morning, dear God, I am grateful. And I'm grateful that if I truly seek you first, all these other things will be added unto me. Amen. Please be seated.
Now hear our Christian witness found today in the book of Colossians, in the first chapter. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile God's self to all things whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. For the word of God that works its way into us.
Deacon Bob was a retired manager from Square D and a friend from whom I learned many lessons as a young minister. Over the years, he had served all the important duties of the church. He was moderator, treasurer, a member of the personnel committee, and of course, deacon and chair of deacons. Offering homespun wisdom, he would offer out his little gems from the accumulated wealth gleaned from 80 plus years of church and life experience. Everything has to be somewhere, he would say. Think about that one. Because it leads to the next jewel of wisdom. If you put your valuables in the same place every time you are finished with them, you will never lose them. A bit of wisdom my 26-year-old son still practices to this day when he brings his car keys to our house and puts them in the same place every time. This is a 26-year-old who would lose, well, just about anything that's ever attached to him, learning from Deacon Bob. Once he was retired, he would go out to breakfast to Cracker Barrel or McDonald's, and he would compliment all those people passing him on the highway, those folks who are finally now going to work for him. Y'all don't know about that thing called Social Security, do you? <laughs> and then this one that has stayed with me for my whole life. If you are determined to find something bad in someone, you will eventually be successful and find it. If you are determined to look hard enough to find something bad, you're going to find it. But also this, in reverse, pronounced years ago in the classic book with now an outdated name, Man's Search for Meaning, published in 1946 by Holocaust survivor and psychotherapist Victor, Victor Frankel, 1905 to 1997. It taught, you cannot change your circumstances, but you can change your attitude. You cannot change what happens to you, but you can control how you react to what happens to you. This profound wisdom of seeking after and unearthing the good in life, regardless of outward circumstances, is called by the discipline of positive psychology. It speaks to the human capacity to fashion and shape the type of reality that we want to live into. And one practitioner of positive psychology is Tim Lomas with the University of East London. Dr. Lomas is an expert in languages and has built his career by asking a principal question. What makes humans happy? Not in the narrow sense of having something good happen to you, like eating an ice cream cone or having your football team rack up a big score in a win. But in the broader sense of human flourishing, 
And Lomas has been involved in a project to understand the power of language, the words that we use, and how those words influence our perceptions and our perspectives. He notices that in the English language and in the English-speaking world, we are stuck with a fairly limited emotional vocabulary. I am happy. I am sad. I am mad. That's about as far as we go in English using words to describe our emotional state of heart and mind. But don't you think life has so much more to offer us than three options? Leading Lomas to focus on the many other rich languages found all over the globe in what he calls an offering of more emotional grandularity. And now having mined 140 different languages, he has assembled a list of 1,200 such words, each with a unique shade of meaning that cannot be fully captured by translating it into an adequate English equivalent. As he writes about in his book, Happiness Found in Translation. The complete opposite of that movie you may have watched starring Bill Murray, Lost in Translation. Happiness in Translation seeks to find these untranslatable words in English to help ourselves imagine and ultimately experience more types of well-being. Here are a few examples. In Zulu, Obutu is the word. It means a spirit of universal kindness and common humanity. Literally, I am because you are. Umbuto, I am because you are. How different this world if everyone practiced Umbuto, my existence is interconnected with your existence. And I'm sure many of you, without knowing the Italian word, has had the pleasure of taking a passeggiata. What is it? Well, it's not some unknown variety of pasta. Passeggiata is a leisurely stroll often in the early evening, speaking of a cultural tradition of communal ambulatory savoring or wandering aimlessly just for the pleasure of it. How different than our duty-bound, task-driven ways of walking, getting our steps in, going from place to place, Counting, 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 making sure we measure, measure, measure up. But some might remember, after a too long and leisurely Thanksgiving meal, the need for a pasheata to take a leisurely, pleasurable stroll. 
to just get things worked back out. Finally, the one I'm thinking about in this fast-approaching frenzy that we're all going to just jump into between Thanksgiving and Christmas is a Croatian word meaning or saying Vaka. F-J-A-K-A. Vodka. It's something we used to do on our front porches when we weren't so attached to our central air or addicted as we are to our televisions or committed with our eyes locked into our iPads and our cell phones. Vodka. It is the savoring of doing nothing. It's what we in the religious community call taking a Sabbath. Just enjoying doing nothing. And a Sabbath is restorative to our souls. Now theology is the sacred endeavor of using words and language to the highest forms of our imaginations and serving our loftiest ambitions and aspirations. We are searching for the proper words, the logos, to describe that which is ultimate to our awareness and our experience, our God, the Theos. And perhaps there are no more loftier words in all of Scripture concerning the importance and centrality of Jesus, the Son of God, our Lord, is what we found today in Colossians, the one of glorious power and endurance, the image, the physical image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, the imprint for all things visible and invisible, holding all things together and bringing all things to completion. This Jesus above all else, as the supreme and preeminent image for the church, the body of Christ, still at work in the world, in which all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Christ in us, with us, through us, among us, between us, living Christ's goodness out with us. Can anything greater be said for us as Christians? Worthy of an accolade of a multitude of angels and a few more beautiful renditions from the handbell choir. Yet the careful reader might have noticed something peculiar and odd on this Sunday in this faithful community as we complete this cycle of the Christian year with a bold and joyous confession about Jesus as the one who is the true sovereign for all of our lives. And before we start preparing again in anticipation of his birth among us, it might be helpful for us to re-examine that captivating and unusual description found in this reading of his supreme importance. It's the last word. A word that Paul and other passages would call a stumbling block. 
For how is it this glorious one could also be that one upon a cross? It's the last word that stops us in our tracks. Peace, reconciliation, redemption, being met by Jesus through suffering and death. His suffering of blood outpoured and his death upon the ugly and offensive wooden stake of the executioner's violence. Here our king, worthy for a throne, not adorned, but mocked. Here the perfect one, beaten and brought low. Here the exalted one, made now in solidarity with the poor and the broken. Here the image of creation, marred and disfigured by the worst our existence has to offer. The one who has reached all the way up is also the one who has stooped all the way down. Theologian Douglas John Hall offers these observations in his working out of what it says about God for our Lord Jesus to have given up his life on the cross. Number one, God is present with humanity and compassion and solidarity. God is present with you in compassion and solidarity. Number two, God is committed to all the people on the earth with this compassion and solidarity. Committed, not just with words, but with passionate, sacrificial activity. Number three, the people of God are honest about suffering and injustice. If something this wicked could happen to someone that good, then who are we to judge any of the difficulties that befall any of our neighbors? And we are honest about the condition of the world because what this world did to our Lord King. Number four, theology is about the fact that God became one of us. Do you have dignity and integrity and importance? Indeed you do, because God has invested God's self so deeply into your createdness, your humanity. Number five, the people of God know that not all is yet known. We're just grabbing a piece. There's so much more. Yes, Easter is on the horizon. But all of us now must live in the shadow of the cross. And so we endure, we hold on, and we are strong, and we love each other, and we forgive each other, and we are caring, and we are benevolent. Because this one in whom we worship has taught us how to live. Tim Lomas, the one we met earlier, 
says that his current favorite word that he's working on is from the Japanese language. Wabi-sabi, describing imperfect, weathered, rustic beauty. Wabi-sabi, offering him a frame of reference, of mind, being able to see with new eyes, imperfect, weathered, rustic beauty. Right now, I'm looking at my garden, he shares, and, and out there, there's some broken pots. So I'm wondering, is there a way to look at these pots in such a way with wabi-sabi? Even though they're imperfect and old and broken, is it possible that I might see some real beauty in them? Here we are entering into this week of national thanksgiving. And for what might we be grateful? Food and feasting? Family and friends? Frenzied preparations and frustrated interactions? Perhaps this too. A damaged and injured king who tells us just how much God loves us and understands us and forgives our sins. As we make our transition from this time of response to God's grace in our hearts and in our lives, we prepare to sing a grateful hymn. A hymn that reminds us that it's not only the words we use, but the words we say that can impact our world and our own lives. That there's a difference between feeling grateful and speaking our gratitude. As we sing this final hymn, I invite you now to begin to articulate the things for which you are grateful and to share that litany of thanksgiving with the world. May you respond as we now stand together and sing hymn 643. Now thank we all, our God.
very much. I want to invite Brian Woodard to come here and stand next to my side. Uh, Brian comes to be a part of this church by decision of a statement of faith and previous baptism. And if that decision delights your heart, would you say, we give our thanks to God? Brian, that's the people of God giving thanks for you and for your decision that you've made here today, our pledge to be your church family and also your pledge to us to be family to us. God bless you, and we're going to ask that you'll come right back here in a moment, and then all of you please come forward to share your own joy with uh, Brian and this important decision that he's made to be a part of our church family. Welcome, Brian. Glad that you've made this decision today. Um, in the life of our church, you'll notice many important things in the green insert. Um, I don't mind you putting the worship stuff in the recyclables. Take the green insert home with you and put it on your refrigerator. Maybe if you don't come to the event, you'll at least know what's going on. I oftentimes have to refer to it. Someone said, what's going on at church tonight? I said, I don't think anything. And then they come to me later and say, well, you know, the youth are having game night tonight and they had the green insert. So take that home. Be aware of what's happening in the church. Uh, next uh, Sunday after the morning service, I will have the conversation that we had in 2013 about how we went through our decisions regarding the LGBTQ issue and some of the biblical understandings that we brought to that discussion, uh, leading us to a uh, policy and practice of full inclusion for those of our neighbors who identify uh, in those particular ways. So that's happening next Sunday after church. You're welcome to stick around. There will be some lunch and you are warmly invited to be a part of that, as well as all the other stuff, because you know, it's happening, right? I mean, no one's thinking this is a week of getting a break, right? You're gonna be traveling, gonna be cooking, you're gonna be talking to relatives that maybe you haven't seen in a while. For some, a pleasant experience. For others, it may have a little bit of fear there. So you have been strengthened by the fellowship of faith. Also, uh, this weekend, we have been gathered together in grief and in gratitude for the life of Francis Hancock. Harold, his uh, bride of almost 75 years this coming summer, um, is now no longer a part of this community of faith, but a part of the eternal community of faith. And Harold, we love you so much. And Francis, uh, her graveside service as a private family event uh, will be tomorrow afternoon. So be praying for Harold and Greg and Hal and the rest of the family as they work through this together. We love you so much and we sure love Frances. What a wonderful saint she was to us. And by the way, many of you have said, um, Frances really, really welcomed me in this church. Well, guess what? That example is now given to us so that we can offer the same kind of enthusiastic, warm, and compassionate welcome that we learn from her. So let's keep that going, shall we? Let us bow for the benediction. Now with grateful hearts, we depart this place of community and this sacred time of worship to enter back into the world of worry and woe. May we notice the difference between our needs and our responsibility so that we can spend our hours doing good and helping others, especially the poor, the vulnerable, the lost, and the marginalized. For in Christ, we recognize the one who has come into our world so that we, this church, his body, 
can continue the work he has taught us to do. Through the mercies of God, and the example of Jesus, our Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.